Hello, and welcome to Close Talking, the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast from Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley, and with my good friend Connor McNamara-Stratton, we read a poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again. Before we get into today's selection, a quick note that if you like what we do here at Close Talking and have a spare minute of your time, it would mean the world to us if you would give the podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings and reviews help boost us up the algorithm and find new listeners. And if you have suggestions for future episodes or comments on this one, you can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com. And you can also find us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at Close Talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn, and Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. On Instagram, the show is at Close Talking Poetry, and on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash close talking. We also have a website, closetalking.com, where you can find all the past episodes of the show, and Cardboard Box Productions has just launched a newsletter, Unboxed, and if you go to cardboardboxproductionsinc.com, you can subscribe for more behind-the-scenes stuff on Close Talking and all of the other literary and cultural history podcasts that Cardboard Box Productions makes. On with the show. Hello, and welcome to this all-new episode of Close Talking. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley. And I am co-host Connor McNamara-Stratton. And before we dive into today's episode, you already heard it in our introduction, but we know, because we look at the download numbers, we keep track of all the stats. It's like it's like the Matrix in here. <laughs> Resurrections. But we know we've got a lot of new listeners. We know that we're getting downloaded more than ever before. But we're not seeing a lot of ratings and reviews come in. So this is our humble plea, our uh, hat in hand moment to say, hey, if you're new to the podcast, if you like the podcast, Head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts, because I think other services also let you do ratings and reviews, and leave us a rating or review. It takes two seconds. You can do it. No problem. Five stars. And like, hey, this was good. Or, you know, poetry. It's something that I sometimes listen to two people talk about. Whatever, whatever your heart tells you to type. But yeah, we know we got a lot of new listeners. And uh, hey, hop on over, rating and review. Feels good. Feels good to do. I know I love doing it for the podcast I listen to. And, uh, you know, warms our hearts. When I find a podcast I love, mm. and and I don't like rating, you know, you got those big apps. They're like, are you enjoying uh, Hearts app? <laughs> <laughs> How is your Instagram experience? Exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to tell them, you know, what I'm, what I'm, liking or not liking but when it's a podcast especially one i know that's a labor of love um which which most podcasts are this one certainly is the feeling of putting that five stars seeing seeing those those star contours those outlines fill up i mean i get a little free song i get a little dopamine squirt just think about it our humble entreaty <laughs> All right, I've used all of my vocabulary. Um, I'm out. It's it's one syllable words minus syllable from here on out. 
<laughs> well, to ensure that we uh, earn those five stars, <laughs> let's move on to talking about the poem and also hope that you're going to be a bit more loquacious. Ooh, I can I can ten dollar word too. True. Um, True. I, you know, took the SATs. I don't know what my score was. Uh, <laughs> wasn't great because math. Ooh. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> Not for you. So <laughs> today we are talking about an excellent, you know, appropriate that we're tossing around these words kind of poem called epistemology. Connor, can you give us a definition of what epistemology is? Epistemology is a great word. And it is, I think, going to be a nice compliment to an episode we did a while back ontology and the platypus um it's got that other ology word ontology is about being epistemology is about knowing basically the study of knowing i think um like what does it mean to know i don't know your guess is Um, as good as mine (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's um you know it's a it's a you know it's a philosophical kind of concept i suppose um but it's one of those scary words that i actually it's got a lot of porcupine quills but on the inside it's very soft and tender well and this poem i think captures the essence of the word and much more um very well I agree. We have our ology poem in Ontology and the Platypus, and we have our epi poem with epithalamian, which is not pronounced that way, but you know, <laughs> it's another one word title with a, a juicy word as the title that starts with <laughs> the same letters. Um, this poem is by Catherine Barnett, who is a wonderful poet. Um, She is a James Lachlan Award winner, and she's written several books, including Into Perfect Spheres, Such Holes Are Pierced from uh, 2004, and her two more recent books, which are both from Grey Wolf Press, which is The Game of Boxes. So take that Game of Thrones uh, back in 2012. (laughs) Oh, you're playing the Game of Thrones? I'm playing the Game of Boxes. In the Game of Boxes, you either win or send a lovely gift. And then the uh, her most recent book, the Human Hour, uh, is uh, Human Hours, which is uh, from 2018. And this poem, I believe, is from 2017. I am not sure, as I have not read the full book of Human Hours, whether or not it is in that book, but it's certainly from around that time. And I think we should mention normally one of us selects the poem, and that's only sort of true because this poem was a suggestion from the wonderful Sarita to whom all but one of the episodes of this podcast are dedicated. <laughs> it is true. Uh, Sarita, my partner, sent me the this poem and I was like, holy shit, uh, this is an amazing poem. And then I sent it to Jack and he said words to a similar effect. And um, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. I was thinking about choosing a different one for this week, but you know what? We're just going to have to get to that in the new year because I think this is uh, this is a good one. So this is Epistemology by Catherine Barnett. Mostly, I'd like to feel a little less, know a little more. 
knots are on the top of my list of what I want to know. Who was it who taught me to burn the end of the cord to keep it from fraying? Not the man who called my life a debacle, a word whose sound I love. In a debacle, things are unleashed. Roots of words are like knots, I think, when I read the dictionary. I read other books, sure. Recently, I learned how trees communicate. The way they send sugar through their roots to the trees that are ailing. They don't use words, but they can be said to love. They might lean in one direction to leave a little extra light for another tree. And I admire the way they grow right through fences. Nothing stops them. It's called inosculation, to unite by openings, to connect or join so as to become or make continuous, from osculare, to provide with a mouth, from osculum, little mouth. Sometimes when I'm alone, I go outside with my big little mouth and speak to the trees as if I were a birch among birches. It's a good one. Yeah. I love this poem. Totally. Let's get our uh, our narrative going. What uh oh. what do we think the narrative is here? What's what's going down? What's going down? Oh. Oh. Well, some things are going up. That's true. Yeah, this is, you know, it's it doesn't have quite a narrative narrative narrative, but it's got a bit of a narrative narrative maybe. It's got a progression if not a narrative. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, it's like in the mind of the speaker, like a kind of the speaker's thinking sort of aloud in the poem. You know, there's the part or it's like roots of words are like knots, I think, when I read the dictionary. I read other books, sure. I think not just because it's botanical, but it's kind of doing the Rosquet thing that he does a lot where he moves really fluidly, just kind of down a path of thought that does have a, a progression you can follow, even if it is making pretty big leaps. Um, mm-hmm. And there's obviously also the kind of, you know, plant life tie-in he's often reflecting on trees and plants and is renowned for his prowess in the in the garden (laughs) yes he is no i think that's a great connection um yeah and so yeah those leaps i guess that that could be where we kind of do our narrative play-by-play you know it kind of starts with you know obviously we got epistemology as the title so we're thinking about knowing and then we have this mostly i'd like to feel a little less know a little more so there you go and then the speaker's like i want to know about knots and then it's like knots like uh someone taught me to like burn the end of a cord so it doesn't fray it wasn't the guy who basically just like insulted my life but i liked the sound of the word by calling it a debacle and then the speaker starts thinking about words about debacle as a word and then words and knots and then the book um you know recently i learned how trees communicate um and we might talk about this more but there is a note that um barnett has because this was uh 
it did appear as like the poets.org poem of the day. Um, and she said that, um, you know, if you're, well, uh, the whole quote is kind of nice, so maybe I'll just read it. But uh, she says, once I dragged a lectern out to a field and wrote there, facing the trees and felt at a wonderful loss for words. What could I say to trees that might matter? Nothing but praise. Trees pay no attention to fences. Um, and walking along West 97th Street, I marvel at how the honey locust grows right beautifully through the chain link and into the schoolyard here. If you're in love with trees, take a look at Peter Wolobin's The Hidden Life of Trees. Um, and then lines 14 and 16 borrow definitions from various dictionaries, etymological and otherwise. Um, and yeah, that, that Wolobin's book, The Hidden Life of Trees has become quite a sensation. Um, and he's, you know, I think an arborist and a scientist. Um, and it does talk about how, um, you know, what's talked about in the poem, um, how trees communicate, send sugar to one another through their roots and all that stuff. Um, and so then the poem kind of takes that idea and runs with it um, and is thinking about trees and then comes back to words and is thinking about this lovely word inosculation, which I had never seen before um, to unite by openings. Um, yeah, and <laughs> kind of ties it all together from there. Um, so, yeah, that's about in terms of the the surface already quite rich. <laughs> I think that's pretty much it. I do, yeah. I read The Secret Life of Trees a couple years ago. Oh, you did? Probably probably around the time it came out. Yeah. Um, it is fascinating, and I think it's one of those books that you can just tell is like a poet's paradise because it's got all this stuff that's like. You know, I mean, it's literally about what it says. It's like the ways that trees communicate and interact and all these, you know, root systems in different forests or the different species of trees have that allow for not only the sharing of resources, but actual communication in a fashion, uh, which is really kind of fascinating. Uh, you know, similar work has been done on like giant fungi clusters which are some of the largest living things in the world are these you know huge interconnected fungus things um but sort of thinking of that and also not just reflecting on this poem but like some of the other poems that we have talked about on this podcast like the problem of describing trees you know the robert haas poem and also letter to the person who carved his initials in the oldest living longleaf pine in North America, the Matthew Oldsman poem, uh, like the, the poetic draw of trees as these kind of fascinating living entities on earth. I mean, you also have like in fantasy stories, you have the Ents in Tolkien and these quasi living forests, the Fangorn forest or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, there's kind of obvious stuff like trees are really big, trees are really old, but you know, the kind of poetic draw to trees or this idea of, you know, what could I say to a tree 
that would matter. Yeah. I don't know. There's elements of that kind of romantic idea of nature of being in the face of such <laughs> grandeur or whatever. But I don't know. Do you have thoughts on the poetic draw of of trees <laughs> specifically? <laughs> um. Wow. Yeah. I mean, those are definitely the big hitters. Um, I mean, I can say it's obviously not true um, in all climates, but trees are in most places um, and they're especially plentiful. Well, they're plentiful in a lot of places, but definitely in the Americas and in Europe and yeah. Across, I mean, you have to get really arid, basically, to kind of prevent trees from growing. Um, or but, have a long-standing human population. Right. Or there's also a place like <laughs> Ireland where, like, people got rid of all the trees. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that is true. Deforestation is a still ever-rampant phenomenon. In my own limited experience as a human on Earth, they are, you know like experientially they're the plant that is the most distinct and prominent in a way like as you move through the world um and so they're kind of striking in that sense of like you know you're not just like in a meadow that's filled with thousands if not tens of thousands of different plants kind of everywhere to the point where it's you know, um, it's, it feels, it's more like a meadow, like, uh, uh, like in, um, all of the plants have, are coming together as one in terms of the encounter that you have with it. Yeah. So like, to me, they're also massive and kind of, yeah, they do have, as, as you were saying, they're much more formidable um like in an obvious way than some other plants seem to be although plants are always more resilient than uh what meets the eye but then it is this thing where it's you know it kind of takes on a life of its own and you you're a reader of poetry you're reading the you know the english language poetic tradition <laughs> you're running into a lot of trees um and so it it becomes the kind of one like figurative source to kind of like as you're writing on your own it can this person wrote about trees this way this person wrote about it that way um and then of course it is like uh i mean kind of as the Haas poem is getting at the problem of describing trees there's a at at the stage of of tree writing <laughs> uh where we are you know they're well-trodden um kind of thing which is sort of what barnett was um maybe getting at it in the note of feeling at a loss for words to some extent um but then at the same time there is that that new you know, this, this, there's always new angles on everything, including trees and, and these discoveries are quite novel, um, as far as I can tell. And the fact that, you know, um, 
especially when we think about nature is is treated as kind of just a set of things <laughs> that you can do shit with and use right um or firewood. yeah firewood or it's just Timber. the beautiful un you know pristine thing that is kind of like um has no agency or subjectivity or anything like that um and so the fact that yeah so like this is quite uh yeah that that information is is quite just sort of rich in its own right um it is interesting because you do end up with this sort of stacked idea of speechlessness right like there's the speechlessness in the face of just trees and the realization of or an understanding of their fullness as living things Mm -hmm. you intellectually know they're alive but they don't you know move around on their own they move in the wind but they're not like running around doing stuff they're trees and so (laughs) like yeah exactly as you're describing you know they're out there and they're either waiting to be firewood or timber or they're waiting for you to interact with them and like have an experience by seeing how nice they look but you know, a realization, a full awareness of how alive they are. Understandably, you could be speechless at that. But then there's also like the Haas poem itself kind of ends with like language being inadequate. (laughs) The problem Mm -hmm. with describing trees is like, well, I don't know. Aspen's doing (laughs) something in the wind. Like, yeah, yeah. Get off my back about it already. Um, (laughs) So, but it also is this kind of like literary speechlessness when so much has been written about it in so many ways and like the biggest ways kind of are a certain realization of like wow this has been around a long time or gee sure is (laughs) sure is big um but there's a a different version of that i think that is what this poem does a little bit which is maybe like a post secret life of trees poetics of you know giving more I don't know what you want to call it because agency and humanity both don't seem like quite the right words but like just a full appreciation of how alive a tree is when it's just kind of doing its tree thing you know like people Mm -hmm. were kind of on board with the idea obviously that trees are living things and that they probably were like interactive with their environments to a degree and you could obviously see the way that like a tree that grew a canopy affected the life beneath it, or you'd have a whole ecosystem on a large tree in the rainforest. You know, I'm sure I've seen that documentary on National (laughs) Geographic in the late nineties of like, you know, starting at the base of the tree with the ants that (laughs) live in vast numbers and carry things that are many times their body weight. And it ends at the top of the tree with an Eagle in its nest, you know, like these giant, jungle eagles that are just oh they're so cool anyway um (laughs) but like that you know that kind of aliveness and the tree as like a pillar that sustains all of this life but that's different than focusing on the tree itself you know um and i think that refocusing on it and yeah that idea of addressing trees and the aliveness of trees and this interest in knowing about trees in a very specific kind of way that is like digging into what it means to know about trees. It's interesting because this, over the course of the poem, you get more and more of that knowing. And 
I'm curious where you think that kind of ends up in the poem, because it ends with this moment of a kind of connection, you know, like this sort of string of different defined words. The last two lines end with this like joining of sorts. And I'm curious how you see that kind of working. Yeah. Um, I am loving all of that. And I, I think that's a really good question. I think I'm going to get there. Yeah. I guess I was, I was thinking about, well, first I just had this, I recently, uh, my lo- my local tree, uh, the tree in my yard, this is not like a, a profound um, observation, but I just was observing as the fall uh, was happening and then the winter, like the, the green leaves become red. They became red like over time, but it was a certain direction. It was a certain... There was one area of the tree that was last to go red. And it was like on the top one part of the tree, it was like fall hit first. And then it slowly spread through the tree. Um, Like rather than like a smattering, like everywhere, you know, I never like noticed the progression of one tree into fall before. And I was thinking about that when I read this poem. But then I was also thinking about like, yeah, kind of what, like, with the idea of epistemology, with the idea of knowing, you know, and we kind of have this mostly I'd like to feel a little less, know a little more opening, which is like interesting in itself, because I, well, personally, I'm like, really feel like I need to, not that I feel like I know a lot, but I, I am um, inclined towards knowing (laughs) over feeling (laughs) um and it is a sometimes a a issue um (laughs) and i yeah i i I know what you mean (laughs) because i have the same issue (laughs) yeah Uh, a lot of intellectualizing over here so yeah um i think it's also interesting because like we all intuitively begin feeling a lot like all the time you know and even efforts to like know or intellectualize it usually there's a grounding of like feeling all Mm -hmm. the time Mm -hmm. um so i can understand that impulse too of like i would like to just skip to the part where i can think about this (laughs) (laughs) yeah right (laughs) yeah no it's true that is very true where it it can be not for everyone, but it can be easier to think about a problem uh, or think about a subject rather than feel it or feel through it. Um, and even harder, of course, to do both. Um, I think that then I was thinking about, yeah, like this idea from the hidden life of trees. And um, I was sort of reading the Smithsonian article that was kind of about the book and the science behind it. And um, the one, there's one researcher that was very formative, it seems, for the book. Suzanne Simard um, is a, a forest ecologist. Um, 
who kind of, she specializes in, I think it's pronounced like mycorrhizal networks, um, which is, I think the kind of the root networks sort of below, you know, in the roots between trees. Um, and it had this point of, you know, this kind of research is, expo is, quote, exposing the limitations of the Western scientific method itself, um, which I found very interesting. And I'm still not quite sure exactly what that <laughs> means. Um, but then, you know, she does say later in the article, Simmered, um, you know, about Western science, like, we don't ask good questions about the interconnectedness of the forest because we're all trained as reductionist. We pick it apart and study one process at a time, even though we know these processes don't happen in isolation. You know, when I walk into a forest, I feel the spirit of the whole thing, everything working together in harmony, but we don't have a way to map or measure that. We can't even map the mycorrhizal networks. One teaspoon of forest soil contains several miles of fungal filaments, which is crazy. That's wild. Yeah. Um, and I think that was very interesting and felt related in some ways to this poem and why I think epi like epistemology is interesting in itself and like um, not just like a, a esoteric term for kind of ivory tower folks literary um, theorists yeah exactly and because of that that point of um what we know and what we accept of as you know capital k knowledge um is determined in part by the way that you know the scientific process the western scientific process you know prioritizes certain ways of thinking and studying over others and like what she was saying about um you know picking things in isolation versus uh you know studying interconnected processes or things like that um and how that then leads to like um, right up until this point, an understanding of what trees are as like distinct units, uh, you know, like, you know, maybe it's a set of trees, but each set is a, you know, is composed of, of this tree and that tree, you know, um, and not a number of trees that are, you know, maybe less distinguishable from one another than you might think. Um, and then also it, it was getting me thinking less kind of abstractly about like the West, the Western scientific method and just like roots are underground. Like I can't study that shit. Like I, <laughs> I don't see it, you know, like sometimes I see a big root when it's like, plunging out of the ground and I'm like holy Jesus or if I'm like trying to dig somewhere and I'm like getting in the way of a route and it's freaking annoying 
Um, yeah, that's the most common one for me this year, <laughs> doing a lot of gardening and uh, a yeah. lot of roots. We've got a big tree cool. in the backyard and uh, they're it's everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> it's everywhere. wild. Everywhere. Yeah. Well, and that's um, the thing, like, obviously that's a huge organism aside from the part that you see above the ground, but some of what, you know, the secret life of trees gets at some of what those quotes you were just reading get at is like, what are the bounds of this organism? Mm-hmm. You know, like we look at our bodies and it is a collection of cells and we see ourselves as a human and we are made up of cells. Like, sure, we can identify individual trees and stuff, but how much of that is looking at the constituent parts of the organism of forest? Like, should we consider this forest an organism? In what ways is that a helpful frame for looking at forests? Mm -hmm. It's really fascinating. Yeah, no, it really is. Um... And it, it like, okay. And then this is another point that is, I think related, but I'm not, I feel like there's another thing in the middle there. Um, okay. My one thought is like, okay, this is crude, but like going along with this, like sort of Western idea of like modern conceptions of like humanity and all this blah, blah, blah. It's, there's also this kind of like man and nature as like fundamentally distinct things. And like, they're totally, you know, separate and like even kind of encounters with nature, even in like artistic traditions, like in a kind of broad scope of like romantic, um, capital R romantic, literature or poetry or painting or whatever. Um, this is, it doesn't characterize all of it, but there's often this kind of, you know, the terror, like not in the, I'm scared, but like I'm encountering the sublime. But what goes along with that is like this kind of idea of the nature as other and like as fundamentally different from me and then I'm like, holy shit, you know, like that's <laughs> wild uh, and not me, you know, um, whereas like, I think kind of relatedly, you know, there and, and this, this, you know, when I put it in terms of the romantic tradition, it's like, okay, that was a long time ago. But even when you think about, say, progressive um like some kinds of progressive environmental climate thought um you still run into that sometimes where you'll have things like um okay we need to obviously we're going to decarbonize we can't just decarbonize we need to do like carbon offsetting okay how do we offset our carbon how do we like you know make a bunch of carbon sinks we know that trees are taking up the carbon, their photosynthesis is going crazy, they're keeping it in there, that's good. What do we do about that? Okay, maybe we just like set aside plots of land and then plant a bunch of trees and then that's our carbon offset. And then we get a one unit of carbon offset uh, that like has a quantifiable thing. Um, and if we like really emphasize the value of that, you know, then over time, you know, we will 
draw down our carbon emissions, blah, blah, blah. All of that is like on its face, fine. Like we do need carbon offsets. Carbon sinks are very important, all of that stuff. But the, men, the, the kind of the way of thinking about nature in that way as like this kind of um, like, okay, we, it's like, we can't be destroying it, but we have to be putting it to use in this like productive fashion, like rather than being in like a kind of relationship with it. Um, and it also like sort of distorts our understanding about, um, about nature and carbon emissions. I was just reading like, you know, if you have say like abandoned farmland, that's, you know, the soil has been totally fucked. Um, and it's not making stuff and you're like, okay, that's a great place to plant a bunch of trees. And then that'll be a good carbon sink. It's like not nearly as good as just like not destroying a thousands year old complex forest biome. Like, you know, um, and it's not just the fact of trees, like which is kind of getting to what this poem is talking about. It's like a forest, A, is not just trees, it's trees that are interacting with each other. It's also the, all the food webs and like the animals, the fungi and all that stuff that's like making the soil more productive, making it able to be, you know, retain the carbon that is going in there. And like, also, it, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's, um, I bring that up as just kind of not to go on a rant about climate politics, which I realized I just did, but even a more like, you know, that's kind of on the better end of environmental thought uh, in the West is still falling into this, I think, kind of really weird separation between us as humans and nature, where we can just like take a plot of land and just delegate it for carbon offsets or something. I think that this poem, one thing that I found so kind of marvelous about this poem is I feel like it's trying to, you know, we get this, just this end. Sometimes when I'm alone, I go outside with my big little mouth and speak to the trees as if I were a birch among birches. Like it's that relationship between the speaker and the trees that's kind of like, that's, that's being moved toward in that, in that ending. Um, and I think how it kind of gets there. Cause when I read it, like after I'm reading the whole poem, like, Oh, like I, you know, I get the, <laughs> the poem chills and all that stuff. Um, and part of it's just the, the marvelous language of like the big little mouth and how the little mouth comes from like the osculum and the, the contrast with the big and the little, um, but there's also like, it's the way that all of these ideas have been built up and thought through throughout the poem. And like, you know, trees communicate, they send sugar. They don't use words, but they can be said to love. Um, they might lean in one direction. Meanwhile, the speaker, you know, and this isn't true of all humans necessarily, but 
Um, it's definitely one dis distinction <laughs> between uh, humans and trees is uh, some words. Um, and, or at least what we recognize is our words. Um, and what is developed kind of throughout the poem is the speaker's own relationship and love and understanding of language as a kind of, right, of way of sending sugar in a way, you know, like uh, not the man who called my life a debacle, uh, which a word whose sound I love, which is the perfect two lines because it's like, all right, that man's an asshole, but also we're moving on from that. Like, what a great word, debacle. Um, and then, you know, like, what are words? They're kind of like knots. Um, and they have all these things and, and we get this kind of, you know, um, well, and so then we get this idea, I think, that if I were to put up a kind of what the poem is going toward, it's like trying to unite the speaker with the trees to be a birch among birches by openings. Like it's trying to do the inosculation uh, like through the poem in a way. Um, and, and, and the openings is, is this wonderful, like it's also kind of like an Ars Poetica type thing, I feel like, cause it's that association like poems and their associations and like, you know, roots and like a tree root, the roots of words, um, a, a physical knot, uh, like knotty things, knotty, you know, there's knots on trees. Um, and then of course, like bigger than that, like, you know, um, there's like, there's how do you love or how do you communicate? Um, and like trees are sending sugar or they're leaning one way. Um, and the speaker is speaking uh, and using words. That's how they're loving. It's interesting because it's unite by openings is such an interesting way. I often think of uniting as a kind of closing together, like we're bringing together two things. Whereas this just seems like, you know, <laughs> you got like this tarp above your head and you're just like chucking stones at it that are like ripping little holes and then the lights coming in through the holes and then on the ground there's like a little puddle of light or something that's come together through your little openings or something like that all of that is where I'm getting at with the poem that was a lot <laughs> I no I think that's fascinating and I think particularly the like comparison point of something like carbon offsets is really good because it does, even though it's, you know, good, it does introduce this weird, like transactional two parties element when there aren't two parties, there's one, we're all on the planet together and it's one big ecosystem and yeah, compartmentalization in science allows for certain kinds of discoveries, but it also can obscure that larger reality. And I think you're so right about this poem's like efforts towards unity and oneness on some level. Um, 
And what's fascinating is exactly this like inosculation idea that is, I think, kind of challenging in a physical sense, because you're so right, like a lot of physical joinings that you think of feel like a closure. It's two things coming together and like closing the gap between them. But on a conceptual level, coming together through openings is kind of like how any kind of more conceptual joining can happen. Like if you're going to have two people come to an agreement on something, they need to be open to the other person's point of view. That is like a coming together through openness. And so the conceptual openness to the idea of like, I want to know more and I'm open to the idea that trees and I can communicate or that we're both communicating entities on earth and we're both alive. So that's like the important thing to think about. Like you have to have a, you know, the cliched open mind, like Mm -hmm. open your mind, man, the trees are talking, (laughs) you know, it's like kind of real though, you know, to be a birch among birches, you have to have a certain kind of conceptual openness, which it feels like the move that the poem makes there, which is really cool is exactly that it's like introducing through the physical example of a place where it's happening inosculation but the real inosculation is this sort of conceptual one that needs to happen for you to be open to the idea of a fully kind of realized idea of what being amongst trees is and you know you're both living entities on planet earth on some level. And so you can think of yourself as a birch among birches, uh, which I think is kind of cool. And that's definitely something, you know, there's uh, along with the secret life of trees, there's also been, my dad is very into this, (laughs) by the way, he's the reason that I read the secret life of trees. Um, But he's also very into the idea of forest bathing. Do you know about forest bathing? No, it's exactly what it sounds like. You go into the woods and you lie down and you're like, whoa, this is great. <laughs> um, it's particularly for folks who like don't have necessarily a lot of nature, but mm-hmm. there've been a bunch of studies and science done about like what happens to your heart rate when you lie down in a forest and just kind of spend time there and what happens to people when they walk around barefoot on grass, um, like your heart rate automatically begins to lower and all this other kind of stuff i don't know the science exactly so well and i don't know how vetted all of it is but i know that this is something that folks are absolutely looking into and it's all the sort of things that make you know pretend probably why it's dangerous but a lot of it makes intuitive sense of like yeah of course like your body isn't used to living in shoes and socks and walking on concrete and stuff all the time like that is an unnatural state of being for the human body it doesn't mean that it's necessarily super harmful for it but you can understand why it probably like on some level there's a very like deep molecular knowing in your body of walking on grass for instance you know there's a lot of woo woo stuff on that (laughs) obviously but there's also a lot of you know, similar to these kinds of more holistic views of what is a forest, how do trees communicate? There's also more science being done about like, how do our bodies communicate with the natural world and Mm. trying to understand that. And it's this really hard kind of understanding because it does 
you know, it stretches the bounds of what science is able to know mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And I am personally comfortable not having to speculate much beyond what science knows. Like I can know what feels good to me, but I'm not going <laughs> to claim that it's because it's of science, you know? Uh, right. Like I enjoy taking hikes in the mountains. Some people find that incredibly stressful and they hate it and they don't want to leave town or whatever, like different people respond to different stuff the same way you can have two house cats and one of them is energetic and afraid. And the other one is super chilled out. Like there's huge variation, but Mm. I do think it's interesting uh, that sort of connective moment at the end, thinking about like, how humans respond to being in the presence of trees or being in nature. Um, I recently watched a documentary. It's called The Alpinist. And it's about this guy who was really, really into the kind of climbing, you know, free solo. Oh, yeah. Madness. But um, (laughs) yeah, this guy was really into doing that kind of climbing and he would make these ropeless ascents of just massive mountains and he did it all the time and he did it at an incredibly high level he did not get the same kind of attention or recognition that Alex Honnold got and it was very much obviously this like spiritual thing for him and he died when he was 25 years old climbing, not solo climbing, not ropeless climbing. He was just mountain climbing with this other guy and they got caught in an avalanche and died. But, um, you know, I only have the very limited view of the documentary, but what everybody basically says is, you know, obviously he died young. Obviously he did the super dangerous stuff all the time, but it was like literally the thing that he was on earth to do. Like he, (laughs) this was it like, yeah, you know, he, did what he loved his whole life and it was short but everybody who met him and knew him and whatever and obviously like this documentary crew followed him for two years before he died and you meet him and you see him and he's like yeah like this guy just wants to climb mountains and so he spends his time doing that and he gets a really profound experience out of do like climbing in this very specific way by himself Mm. And so I don't know the details of his life beyond that. And it is tragic that he died so young and he had a girlfriend who misses him and I'm sure wishes they got to spend more time together, but like to a person in the, in the documentary, everybody's like this, this was like what he was meant to do. And so he did it. I feel like there's a sort of birch among birches thing going on there where there's like, how do you channel something that you resonate with in a way that you don't fully understand. Like, I think that's another area where you get that really intense, you know, I want a little less feeling and a little more knowing, like, I want to know what that's about. I can, (laughs) on some level, I can identify and understand that this is a feeling or this is like a vibe, but I want to know why that is like, why are some people like, why do some people have perfect pitch? And they're just like, that's their thing, you know? <laughs> and, you know, it comes up a lot in sort of artistic fields and whatever, but I think it also comes up sometimes in these like extreme 
sports that maybe that's just because it's the documentary i watched um (laughs) (laughs) well it's a very documentable instance yeah um but like i don't know yeah yeah no yeah you know what i'm getting at which is just like you don't necessarily know why somebody is so exactly suited to something or respond so strongly to something or becomes like really deeply connected to something at any point in their life. Cause sometimes people discover these like huge passions that take them on a left course in their life halfway through or something, you know, like all of a sudden a lawyer becomes a ferret breeder or whatever. Um, and they realize like, this is what I was meant to do with my time. And I discovered it later, whatever. There's a larger thing in the birch among birches which is sort of like an understanding of one's place in the world not that everyone has a like predestined place necessarily but just that there can be a kind of knowing when you're Mm -hmm. like i have a sense that i'm in the right place or i have a sense that this is the wrong place for me um either in a literal or a more kind of cosmic sense but i think that that's something else going on there at the end where it's like feeling a sense of right alignment in the world kind of thing no definitely i think that's really right i don't know about this but um do you feel about it (laughs) well maybe i mean that's kind of what's interesting is is like one thing that i was thinking about like with what you were talking about is like and in some ways, this is like a, a poet's poem, but it's not for poets. But what I mean is the love in the poem is like about the language in a way. But I mean, also about the trees. But yeah. like there's the way that, you know, at the end, the action is like I go outside with my big little mouth and speak to the trees as if I were a birch among birches. Um, and, and, and the, and then I was thinking about like the language too in the poem is very, the textures. I started thinking about it in the line with the, the man who called my life a debacle, a word whose sound I love. And, and that gesture of the debacle being okay, it means something, <laughs> means a hot mess <laughs> or whatever. It's things gone awry, but it sounds pretty fucking good. Um, and then I was like, it is interesting too, the kind of the title epistemology, such a, you know, we had to, <laughs> we before we read the poem, we defined what the word epistemology meant, you know, which tells you something about the word epistemology. Um, but then the, the poem starts like, mostly I'd like to feel a little less, know a little more, um, which like is very casual also um, in terms of the language, I think. Um, and, you know, there's other parts of like, I read other books, sure, that kind of talkative aspect of sure. Um, and and the kind of like, I don't know, like then moving to obviously the, the etymologies of words, 
where you're getting at the roots kind of thing act like the metaphor actual it's like words are tree like in their you know and living you know in the ways that they okay it starts as osculum which is like latin it means a, a little mouth then someone says um osculare or um to provide with a mouth uh it's a verb suddenly and then when we get to the english um and maybe there are a few steps uh there you know it's inosculation to unite by openings um and i was actually like looking at it and um osculate is also like a math word i think um i had no idea what it meant what was it it was like oh yeah in mathematics okay this is actually it has two meanings the first is in mathematics of a curve or a surface touch another curve or a surface so as to have a common tangent at the point of contact um okay and then the sec the second meaning is kiss <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty perfect <laughs> um apparently a formal and humorous uh connotation of kiss <laughs> oh my god that is um, <laughs> which i guess i mean that makes sense unite by openings a kind of kiss kiss of mouths um good point very good point yeah that yeah. makes a lot of sense yeah yeah take that uh, math <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah anyway and i was just like i don't know i mean in some ways i i'm like okay i'm thinking about big little lies that's show when i get to big little mouth but the or big mouth or big mouth that's true or um, little big man or little big man very true um but there's or <laughs> little big the weird russian band that i recommended a while ago <laughs> indeed 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 um i don't know it's like it's a moment of like it's interesting because all of this is to say there's there's a knowing but it's like knowing has sometimes a bit of um, separation, sort of. It's it's an it's it's a relationship with something else. But by the I don't know the the like it's delightful in a in a big in a it's gonna say a big way, <laughs> but a, a deep kind of way at the end with when you get to the at least for me, when I get to the, with my big little mouth and speak to the trees as if I were a birch among birches and kind of the, it's not quite simple, but it's like, you know, the playing of the meanings against each other. And it's a feeling, it's a feeling with language, right? 
uh, I guess is what I'm trying to say, which is kind of like, um, and to me, there is that kind of throughout the poem where that's the, you know, when you were talking about the, the mountain climbing or the, the guitar, like it is the words in this poem that are, um, it's both a love and like a feeling of alignment when engaging with it, but it's also then the way of accessing and connecting with the trees, which are the other love. Yeah, I just like, I don't know, it's beautiful. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Shall we uh, read it again? I think we shall. All right, this is Epistemology by Catherine Barnett. Mostly, I'd like to feel a little less, know a little more. Knots are on the top of my list of what I want to know. Who was it who taught me to burn the end of the cord to keep it from fraying? Not the man who called my life a debacle, a word whose sound I love. In a debacle, things are unleashed. Roots of words are like knots, I think, when I read the dictionary. I read other books, sure. Recently, I learned how trees communicate, the way they send sugar through their roots to the trees that are ailing. They don't use words, but they can be said to love. They might lean in one direction to leave a little extra light for another tree. And I admire the way they grow right through fences. Nothing stops them. It's called inosculation, to unite by openings, to connect or join so as to become or make continuous. From oscular, to provide with a mouth. From osculum, little mouth. Sometimes, when I'm alone, I go outside with my big little mouth and speak to the trees as if I were a birch among birches. So Connor. Oh, so Jack. Here's, here's the thing. Uh-oh. I have a need. Uh-oh, uh-oh. And that need is to know what you've been reading, watching, listening to. What do you, oh, what do you, what do you got going on? Jack, you buried the lead there, Jack. Yeah, I buried the lead with my talk of need. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is what I will recommend. Um, this is an essay Ooh. by a friend who is an amazing writer and I think I amazing, read this essay. I think you did. Oh, I might've sent it to you. <laughs> um, it is something I think everyone should read. Um, it is an incredible essay by Kristen Collier, who in full disclosure, I was in the MFA program with, very good friend, 
she is an incredible writer and an organizer with the Debt Collective, um, which is a great, amazing organization. Strike debt, abolish it, get it out. Biden, Joe, come on. Um, (laughs) Anyway, um, the title itself is enough to read it. It's called Debt Demands a Body. Um, It was published recently uh, at the beginning of December in Long Reads. um, And it's both a kind of personal essay about um, Kristen's own relationship with student debt, um, but it's also a like a very, um, it's like a systemic examination of the ways that debt and student debt in particular um, are oppressive um, and it's also a kind of meditation and historical kind of examination on, um, you know, debt, like more broadly, um, and also like a, really a look at, um, I don't know, the debt, the ways that debt impacts the body um and people's bodies and i think i i was lucky enough to read an early draft and then um i was so thrilled that um yeah that it when it came out in long reads and reread it the revised um it's just so good i don't know i just like i think it's um you know partly it's like it's timely it's like you know student debt is at like 1.9 trillion or something and counting it's not an abstract thing to me the best part about the essay and about Kristen's writing does is like it's all of the things it's like it's lyrical, it's like poetic, it's also, you know, personal and like kind of, you know, uh, like the creative nonfiction type sense of personal, but it's also like, you know, sociological and there's reportage. And it also is like, it has um, a radical like political (laughs) purpose it connects all of those things in the writing. And I think it makes you, at least it makes me feel the urgency of the issues. It's yeah. The only name that comes to mind who consistently does that is somebody like Eula Biss. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think it is very much in a similar vein, um, a little more pointed and researched than I think, Eulabis's stuff mm-hmm. tends to be, but I think that's a good thing. <laughs> in, yeah, in I this agree. case, and yeah, I, you you did send me the link to that uh, essay, and it is an incredible essay. I'm glad, I'm glad it's in the Rex. 
It's in the racks. <laughs> it's in the racks. Um, okay, Jack. Yep. It's your turn. You already know it's coming. You've known for a long time what I'm going to ask you. Mm-hmm. And you have no excuses. I've got wrecks like you wouldn't believe. Um, oh, good, good, good. It is interesting. So this year I've been very good about something that I try to do every year, which is like keep a list of all the things that I watch and read and whatever, uh, which is usually great because you can look back and be like, oh, yeah, look at that. Uh, this year <laughs> I can look back and say, wow, I really didn't read a lot this year, did I? I did. Uh, and that's OK, too, because. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of year it's been. I have watched almost a hundred movies. So that's wow. I will cross that milestone. Usually I read almost that many books, if not that many, but no, not this year. Uh listened to a bunch of cat mysteries at the beginning of the year, and then one or two books since then I've read, many of which I've ended up recommending here. But uh big plans for the new year. Anyway, my recommendation. <laughs> is uh, very much on the theme of the poem, which is this summer I discovered the YouTube channel of this guy, Bo Miles, who is shock. I know you'll be shocked to hear he's from Australia. Oh, wow. Yet another Australian in my uh, media life, but (laughs) he's had a number of viral videos and he's kind of uh, like an adventurer type guy who now builds himself as like a backyard adventurer. But he basically is a, an outdoor program guy at the one of the universities in Melbourne, and he lives outside of the city. And these videos are, some of them are things that he did earlier in his life, like a big kayaking trip around Africa, um, part of South Africa and along the coast of Africa. Or uh, the one that I first saw was one of these quote unquote backyard adventures that he's doing, which is basically, you know, at this stage in his life, he's working at the university and he also has his family. So he's no longer going off on these kinds of expeditions or, you know, chasing after this, wherever he's finding things to do in and around his area. The first thing I watched him do was a marathon, but it was one mile every hour on the hour. And then in between, he was trying to do stuff that had been like on his to-do list that he'd been putting off like fix a table or whatever he's like kind of a handy (laughs) guy in addition Uh to doing all this adventuring stuff so he like makes his own canoe and kayak paddles and stuff Mm -hmm. um and you just get a sense of who he is and he's this very kind of energetic enthusiastic uh i think in australia you might refer to him as a a bit of a larrikin just kind of a knockabout guy doing his thing running a mile planting some trees his most recent video which is part of why i thought of this is uh, a tree a minute for a day <laughs> so he didn't literally do that but over the course of 24 hours he planted i think it's 1440 trees is the number of minutes in a day it's like this you know section of his neighbor's land that he goes out with these thousands of trees and plants um which is really cool and so it's uh he's got another one also kind of on the theme of this poem called Big Gums, uh, where on his property, he has these giant eucalyptus trees, the gum trees that are in Australia. And they are truly massive and ancient. They live up to like, if there's no fires or anything, like 500 years. Uh, And they also get really tall. They're like some of the tallest trees in the world. They're like redwood type size, uh, like 200 to 300 some feet. 
Um, oh. For for contrast, the I looked up like how tall is the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree, and it's like a little over seventy feet every year. Oh wow! So these are like big trees, and so he like spends <laughs> a he he goes up and he builds himself a little platform, and he like spends a day in his tree and talks about you know what the trees mean in Australia and stuff. Uh, he ate nothing but beans for a very long time <laughs> for a reason. He it, oh he he was eating beans until he ate his body weight in beans and ate nothing but beans. It was a project he called the human bean. But you kind of get a sense like he's you know he's uh-huh. trying stuff and he's very into like the natural world and camping and outdoorsy stuff. Nice. It's just it's like a fun kind of different thing. Uh, yeah. And oh, yeah. it's a nice, if you too feel like you're not really up for reading about stuff, <laughs> not that this is like not substantive in different ways, but it's a definite, uh, a good fun diversion. And I think part of what is appealing about it potentially is that during pandemic times, it's not that he doesn't talk to people or he doesn't interact with them, but a lot of it is kind of like individually focused. Mm-hmm. And I think that somebody who is clearly happy, loves people, loves being around people, but is also can be content on their own. <laughs> Love it. Once you become deeply committed to the, to the debt struggle via Kristen's beautiful essay, <laughs> then go out and watch a dude spend a day in a tree. a perfect pairing yes hello everybody thank you so much for listening this is co-host jack roster munley just reminding you that there are a ton of ways that you can get in touch with us and we love to hear from you it's always great to know if you have a different reading of this poem or any of the other poems we've covered, or if there are any poems you wish we would cover in the future, you can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry@gmail.com, at gmail.com, or the show and Connor and myself are all on Twitter. That's another great way to connect. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn. Connor is at Connor M. Stratton, and the show is at Close Talking. You can also find us on Instagram at Close Talking Poetry, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash close talking. See you next time.